Chapter Thirty One of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter Thirty One. If it had not been for Zora and her twin sister Khadija, Maïeddine would have said to himself at Ouargla, "Now my hour has come." But though his eyes saw not even the shadow of a woman in the Caïd's house, his ears heard the laughter of young girls, in which Victoria's voice mingled. And besides, he knew, as Arabs contrive to know everything which concerns others, that his host had daughters. He was well aware of the Freemasonry existing among the wearers of the veils, the dwellers behind shut doors, and though Victoria was only a Romia, the Caïd's daughters would joyfully scheme to help her against a man if she asked their help. So he put the hour hand of his patience a little ahead, and Victoria and he were outwardly on the same terms as before when they left Ouargla, and passed on to the region of the low dunes, shaped like the tents of nomads buried under sand, the region of beautiful jeweled stones of all colors, and the region of the cots, the desert lakes, like sad, wide-open eyes in a dead face. As they drew near to the Zawiya of Temesin, and the great oasis city of Tugorkt, the dunes increased in size, surging along the horizon in turbulent golden billows. Mabarka knew that she was close to her old home, the ancient stronghold of her royal ancestors, those sultans who had owned no master under Allah. For though it was many years since she had come this way, she remembered every landmark which would have meant nothing to a stranger. She was excited, and longed to point out historic spots to Victoria, of whom she had grown fond. But Maïeddine had forbidden her to speak. He had something to say to the girl before telling her that they were approaching another city of the desert. Therefore Mabarka kept her thoughts to herself, not chatting even with Fafan, for though she loved Victoria, she loved Maïeddine better. She had forgiven him for bringing her the long way round, sacrificing her to his wish for the girl's society. Because the journey was four-fifths finished, and instead of being worse, her health was better. Besides, whatever Maïeddine wanted was for the Rumiya's good, or would be eventually. When they were only a short march from Tugort, and could have reached there by dark, Maïeddine nevertheless ordered an early halt. The tents were set up by the negroes among the dunes, where not even the tall spire of the Tamasan mosque was visible and he led the little caravan somewhat out of the track, where no camels were likely to pass within sight, to a place where there were no groups of black tents in the yellow sand, and where the desert, in all its beauty, appeared lonelier than it was in reality. By early twilight the camp was made, and the Sudanese were preparing dinner. 
never once in all the sahara journey had there been a sunset of such magical loveliness it seemed to maeddine and he took it as a good omen if thou wilt walk a little way with me oreda he said i will show thee something thou hast never seen yet when my cousin is rested and it is time for supper i will bring thee back together they mounted and descended the dunes until they could no longer see the camp or the friendly smoke of the fire which rose straight up a scarf of black gauze against the sky of green and lilac shot with crimson and gold it was not the first time that victoria had strolled away from the tents at sunset with maeddine and she could not refuse yet this evening she would gladly have stayed with leila mabarka the sand was curiously crisp under their feet as they walked and the crystallized surface crackled as if they were stepping on thin dry toast by and by they stood still on the summit of a dune and maeddine took from the hood of his burnous a pair of field glasses of the most modern make look round thee he said i have had these with me since our start but i saved them for to-day to give thee a surprise victoria adjusted the glasses which were very powerful and cried out at what she saw the turmoil of the dunes became a battle of giants sand waves as high as the sky rushed suddenly towards her towering far above her head as if she were a fly in the midst of a stormy ocean the monstrous yellow shapes came closing in from all sides threatening to engulf her she felt like a butterfly in a cage of angry lions it is terrible she exclaimed letting the glasses fall from her eyes the cage full of lions sat down calmed but now that the butterfly had seen them roused never could they look the same again the effect upon the girl was exactly what maeddine had wanted for once victoria acted as he expected her to do in given circumstances she is only a woman after all he thought if thou wert alone in this sea of gold abandoned to find thine own way with no guide but the stars then indeed thou mightest say it is terrible he answered for these waves roll between thee and the north whence thou hast come and still higher between thee and the desired end of thy journey so high are they that to go up and down is like climbing and descending mountains one after another all day day after day and beyond where thou must soon go if thou art to find thy sister there are no tracks such as those we have followed thus far in these shifting sands not only men and camel but great caravans and even whole armies have been lost and swallowed up forever for gravestones they have only the dunes and no man will know where they lie till the world is rolled up as a scroll in the hand of allah victoria grew pale always before thou hast tried to make me love the desert she said slowly if thou were anything ugly to see thou hast bidden me to turn my head the other way or if i saw something dreadful thou wouldst at once begin to chant a song of happiness to make me forget why dost thou wish to frighten me now it is not that i mean to give thee pain oreda 
Maeddine's voice changed to a tone that was gentle and pleading. It is only that I would have thee see how powerless thou wouldst be alone among the dunes, where for days thou mightst wander, meeting no man, or if thou hast any encounter, it might be with a Tuareg, masked in blue, with a long knife at his belt, and in his breast a heart colder than steel. I see well enough that I would be powerless alone, Victoria repeated. Dost thou need to tell me that? It may be not, said Magdine, but there is a thing I need to tell thee. My need is very sore, because I have kept back the words I have burned to speak. My soul is on fire. O oh, Rose, I love thee. I die for thee. I must have thee for mine. He snatched both her hands in his and crushed them against his lips. Then, carried away by the flower-like touch of her flesh, he let her hands go and caught her to his heart, holding her in his burnous as if he would hide her even from the eye of the sun in the west. But she threw herself back and pushed him away with her palms pressed against his breast. She could feel under her hands a great pounding as of a hammer that would beat down a yielding wall. Thou art no true Arab, she cried at him. The word struck Maeddine in a vulnerable place, perhaps the only one. He had expected her to exclaim, to protest, to struggle, and to beg that he would let her go. But what she said was a sharp, unlooked-for stab. Above all things except his manhood, he prided himself on being a true Arab. Involuntarily he loosened his clasp of her waist, and she seized the chance to wrench herself free, panting a little, her eyes dilated. But as she twisted herself out of his arms, he caught her by the wrist. He did not grasp it tightly enough to hurt, yet the grip of his slim brown hand was like a bracelet of iron. She knew that she could not escape from it by measuring her strength against his, or even by surprising him with some quick movement for she had surprised him once, and he would be on guard not to let it happen again. Now she did not even try to struggle, but stood still, looking up at him steadily. Yet her heart also was like a hammer that beat against a wall, and she thought of the endless dunes in whose turmoil she was swallowed up. If Stephen Knight were here, but he was far away, and Maeddine, whom she had trusted, was a man who served another god than hers. His thoughts of women were not as Stephen's thoughts. Think of thy white angel, she said. He stands between thee and me. Nay, he gives thee to me, Maeddine answered. I mean no harm to thee, but only good, as long as we both shall live. My white angel wills thou shalt be my wife. Thou shalt not say I am no true Arab. I am true to Allah and my own manhood when I tell thee I can wait no longer. But thou art not true to me when thou wouldst force me against my will to be thy wife. We have drunk from the same cup. Thou art pledged to loyalty. Is it disloyal to love? Thy love is not true love, or thou wouldst think of me before thyself. I think of thee before all the world. Thou art my world. I had meant to wait till thou wert in thy sister's arms, 
but since the night when i saw thee dance my love grew as a fire grows that feeds upon rosin if i offend thee thou art alone to blame thou wert too beautiful that night i have been mad since then and now thou must give me thy word that thou wilt marry me according to the law of islam afterwards when we can find a priest of thine own religion we will stand before him let my hand go see me adine if thou wishest me to talk further with thee victoria said he smiled at her and obeyed for he knew that she could not escape from him therefore he would humor her a little in a few more moments he meant to have her in his arms again his smile gave the girl no hope she thought of zorro and the court of the oranges what wilt thou do if i say i will not be thy wife she asked in a quiet voice but there was a fluttering in her throat a spark lit in his eyes the moon was rising now as the sun set and the two lights silver and rose touched his face giving it an unreal look as if he were a statue of bronze which had come alive victoria thought just as she had come alive in her statue dance he had never been so handsome but his dark splendor was dreadful to her for he did not seem like a human man whose heart could be moved to mercy for an instant he gave her no answer but his eyes did not leave hers since thou askest me that question i would make thee change thy no into yes but do not force me to be harsh with thee o core of my heart o soul of my soul i tell thee faith has spoken the sand has spoken sand gathered from among these dunes it is for that reason in part that i brought thee here the sand divining victoria exclaimed Layla Mabarka told thee? She told me not to wait, and her counsel was the counsel of my own heart. Look, O Rose, where the moon glitters on the sand, the sand that twined thy life with mine. See how the crystals shape themselves like little hands of Fatma, and they point from thee to me, from me to thee. The desert has brought us together. The desert gives us to one another the desert will never let us part victoria's eyes followed his pointing gesture the sand crystals sparkled in the sunset and moonrise like myriads of earthbound fireflies their bright facets seemed to twinkle at her with cold fairy eyes waiting to see what she would do and she did not know she did not know at all what she would do End of chapter thirty one